Hello and welcome to another episode of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on August the 24th, 2016. My name is Kyle, and joining me, as always... Camus. Hold on a damn second. That's not Jared and Rage. What the hell's going on here? So, they were unable to record because Jared ran out of power and they were too lazy to reschedule, so we hijacked the podcast. Haha, <laughs> high casting. Yes, I'm the one that speaks English natively here. Um, <clears throat> so this week we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Um, we're going to be covering board games of VGL, so I guess it'd be BGL? Board Game Logic? Sounds right. Okie dokie. Well, uh, we each have three games, and then um, we'll see what kind of crazy tangents that takes us down. So, uh, Chemis, uh, if you want to start us off with your first game, let's uh, rock and bock, man. So, I will start with the first game I own, which is Nuroshima Hex. It's a board game. I'm trying to make some kind of better description right now. Uh <laughs> You have a board, you are drawing tiles, and you place those tiles. And then your opponent takes a turn, and so on. Those tiles are usually soldiers, which have different statistics, such as attacks, which way they attack, and their initiative order. And the most imp uh, interesting thing is that those units do not do anything until you start a battle. And the battle starts either where you, when you play the battle instant tile, or the board fills up. And then, starting from the highest initiative to the lowest initiative, all units are, uh, pretty much act at the same time. So you have to think very carefully, as maybe the unit you are placing right now ha makes a lot of sense, but it may not even survive to the actual battle, because before it starts, something else gets placed, and so on. So this is the first game I've ever owned, pretty much. I was gifted it two years ago for Christmas by my parents, and then I bought a lot and a lot of expansion packs. So what you're saying is essentially you're basically trying to bet against, like when the war is going to happen versus when you think you can take out other people's units? Yeah, something like that. Every player has uh, HQ. HQ has 20 hit points, and you are trying to kill the other uh, people's HQ. Stands to reason, those jerks. Yeah, so uh, basi uh, basically you probably want to place a unit that will protect your own HQ, but also attack the opponents. But then maybe uh, the opponent will place a faster unit that kills yours before it even uh, gets to take an action, and so on. Also, there are so when you say yeah. oh. uh, so when you say faster unit, does that mean like the units have a base speed or something associated with them? Yeah, this is called initiative. Each unit has an initiative. Usually, it ranges between one and three. And when the battle starts, the first 
all units with initiative, let's say three, if it is the highest, take the action at the same time. So if there are two units of the same initiative aiming at each other, they will kill each other. And then after all the units uh, of this initiative have taken their action, you clean up any, uh, any that would be killed and start the other initiative. So maybe you have a very powerful unit at initiative 2, but that initiative 3, it already gets killed. So it doesn't actually do anything. Okay, okay, I think I get it. And then are there like different unit classes or what have you, like artillery or whatnot? Or... Um, no, uh, most basic distinction is between melee, uh, melee units, which only attack uh, units adjacent, and also and the range units, which attack the first enemy in the line of sight. And then uh, there are, in the base, in base game, there are four armies, and each expansion pack introduces another one, so there may be some additional quirks. Okay, so each, like, faction has, like, a focus or something, where it's, like, one faction likes punching people in the face really fast, but the units themselves are, like, kind of wimpy if they got into kind of a scrap with, say, something slower that had a little bit more heft to it. Uh, yeah, that is pl uh, pretty much it. In the base game, you have Blue Borgo, which is very fast, so it is very dangerous, your units may not even survive long enough to do anything. You have uh, Yellow Hegemony, which is very powerful melee uh, attacker. Uh, Red Moloch, uh, which has mo more focus on ranged attacks, but also very strong units that are hard to take down. Most units get killed with a single hit, but then you can have units with additional hit points. And finally, there is green uh, outpost, which is pretty weak, but has a lot of move instant tails. So you can, after you place down a unit, you can move it if you desire oh. so. Okay, so they're like super sneaky, tactical, thinking forward kind of guys? Yes, but if they get blocked, for example, there are uh, net, and there are nets. If you throw a net on a unit, it cannot do anything. So if you manage to net outpost, they are pretty much screwed. Yeah, yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. Um, getting a net thrown on you kind of dampers whatever plans you had. Who was throwing the net? Who fucking knows? But I can speak from experience. Nets suck. And also, I need to. Uh, if you allow me to brag a little, I have made a custom insert from Foamcore to All organize right. uh, organize everything, and I have posted pictures on Twitter and the actual designer of the board game liked the post. Hashtag humblebrag. Uh, no, that's pretty it's cool. It's not even I mean, humble. I'm trying to give you the benefit of the doubt here. <laughs> Yeah, so that is my first game, so I think we will alternate. Sure, that sounds good to me. So let's see, what did I put first in the list? Um, okay, the Firefly board game. Uh, this was something I had actually had my eye on for a while, um, because I love space. Uh, the show Firefly is just flipping amazing, and the game itself looked like it had enough mechanics to make it 
interesting, but the weird thing is the box does a really shitty job explaining the game. Um, all it does is has like taglines from the show. Um, I don't know, Dominic, or I'm sorry, Chemis, uh, I guess. Um, <clears throat> Jared, beep out if uh, Chemis doesn't want me to say his real name. <clears throat> I think bad. I've already tweeted that about it, so I don't really care. Oh, okay, that's good. And I didn't out your name to the world. Well, I did, but whatever. I've outed um, my full name beforehand, so... Curses! Alright, sorry. <laughs> Moving back on to uh, Firefly. The, the board game itself, um, like the, the box and stuff, doesn't really do a good job um, describing exactly how the game plays, so I was always kind of wary to buy it. And then um, after Christmas one year, I had some disposable income, so I went out and I checked it out. It's really cool in that... Um, have you ever seen the show Firefly? Or Yeah, I've seen... I don't really remember much about it. It seemed um, a pretty generic sci-fi show, if you don't mind me. Oh, that's fine. I mean, people like different things. But basically, it was um, a really well-written sci-fi show for the time. And it got cancelled after one season because um, the Fox network kind of nostril-fucked the whole... They they really just shot that show in the shin, and it did not get a second season. But I think that's kind of why it was great. Uh, the writer tends to um, drive his work into the ground in later seasons, but that's neither here nor there. Um, the way the game works is, uh, especially with a couple of the expansions, you start off on a certain planet, and everybody's trying to do the same goal. And um, it's really RPG-like, Um in that you can upgrade your ship with various uh, different things, like you can get better drive cores, you can get um, like a medical bay, you have to pick up different crew members and you have to make sure they're equipped with uh, certain things, like if you have a medic you might want to give the medic some kind of uh, first aid kit, or in my case, give the medic a gun, why not, let's do this. <laughs> You're not going to make it. <laughs> Alright, done. So, um... Everybody's trying to do the same thing, and the um, the starting uh, quest, I guess is what you would call it, is called um, First Time in the Captain's Seat, and the idea is you took out a massive loan from a very bad man to, um, to buy your ship and go about trying to make a profit by completing missions like taking passengers from point A to point B, selling slaves... Um, you can even just play the market if you want. But uh, basically what you do is um, you you start off with, like, I want to say three grand in this scenario, and you all start off inside what's called the Halo, which is, like, this really controlled space, and there's uh, essentially space police going around looking for people with contraband. And then once you get outside of the Halo, there's straight-up, pirates. They're called Reavers in the universe, but they're pirates, and they will absolutely jack your shit up and kill half your crew. Um, so the goal here is to make effective use of all of your resources, because you have to spend fuel in order to move efficiently. And the way the move systems work, I'm not sure if I like it or not. Uh, it's card-based. So you flip over a card, and most of the cards just say, keep on flying, which means, okay, you can move your unit to the next space. Um, up to the number that's on your uh, like reactor core or what have you. Um, but then occasionally there's events like you got busted for space DUI. That's not actually what it says, but that's essentially what it means. Or like pirates, they had space DUI and smashed into your 
spaceship and then killed everybody, which was terrible. But hey, that's your own fault. You know, pirates drink. Yeah. So don't um, drink and pilot spaceships. <laughs> Kids. Kids of today don't pilot faster than light ships after having a few space rums. Which I guess is the same as normal rum, but with the word space in front of it, which makes it better. What was the name of uh, the drink from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Oh, fuck me sideways. I don't remember off the top of my head. It was... I think there was a lot of G's in the in the name. I think so. Um, hold on one second. Pan-Galactic Gargle Blaster. That's the one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't have to Google that now. Uh, so basically what ended up happening is um, you have to balance like the difficulty of the quests because there's three main... Uh, I don't know what you'd call them, like fields of expertise. There's what I call um, social or sexy, which because most of the horrors that you can pick up have really high stats in this skill. Um it's like your ability to talk your way out of things and most problems in the game have like a talky option there's a mechanical one which for whatever reason medics are considered mechanical i guess technically the body is some kind of machine and um then there's the much more straightforward shoot it's just like how how uh like big your guns are and if you have certain guns in certain situations like if you have a sniper rifle um where like the random event is saying, if you have a sniper rifle, just go ahead and complete this, because you trump the situation, like, you get ambushed, and some guy has a sniper rifle, you're like, oh, okay, I obviously sent him up there, he has the sniper rifle, I'm gonna just win this situation. And so in the, like, base learning quest, um, the idea is, you start off with, I think, like, I want to say, like, two grand, maybe? It's been a while since I played this particular one, my friends and I play a different quest. Um... And you need to get six grand, and then you have to go to this Lone Sharks area and then pay him the six grand. And if you're the first to do that, you win. Um, it's really engaging, and the box kind of lies to you about how long the game takes. Because each game is like, you can finish this in one to two hours. I don't think I've had a game clock in under three yet, even with just like two or three people playing. Is the game co-op, or everybody plays for themselves? Uh, yes. Um, everybody yes, does which. play. F- exactly. Uh, <laughs> everybody <laughs> does kind of play for themselves, but there's no way for you to sit there and like ambush a crew, or at least it's like not advantageous to you because you can lose people on your own. Like you can sit there and screw people over by, you know, buying an item they need or just getting in their way or um, just having misfortune happen to them by, like, baiting pirates over to them, directing uh, the space police to take a look at their cargo hold if they're carrying something illegal. So there's, like, ways to screw the people over kind of indirectly, but um, you're definitely looking out for number one. So I guess it's a co-op competitive game because everybody wants to screw over, you know, kill the winner, that sort of thing. Okay. Um, I don't know. It's a really complicated game, whose mechanics are actually super easy once you get it out of the box. I would give it a recommend. Um, you might want some house rules about how movement works, because it's kind of ridiculous. You're flipping over a lot of movement cards, and 
the shuffle the movement deck. There's only one of those in the deck, so it's like, uh, you're going to be sitting there for a while not doing much of anything uh, of interest. Like, you're going to be moving around and making plans, but the way the movement cards work is they just add, like, an RNG mechanic to the game. So, anyways, that's Firefly. I mean, if you had any questions about it... Well, that's the Firefly board game. The Fire... The... The Firefly show is a lot more in-depth and righty than board game and play-y. Okay, so now I don't really have anything to ask. Okay. Sounds good. Okay, so may I? Yeah, go for it. So my next my next game is called Think Straight, which is a game I bought because I just saw it on a deal. Uh, they, I'm trying to think how to describe it because it's pretty difficult. So we have five or six decks of cards depending what difficulty you want to play uh, play on. Each deck has a card uh, cards from zero labeled from zero to seven. You discard one of them for the reasons that will I think become apparent later. Later, and everybody draws one card from each deck, each deck has a different color, and places them in front uh, in front of them, but in a way that they cannot actually see what they have. The, okay. whole go- the whole goal of the game is to guess what cards have you drawn. And there are two ways to do it. First of all, you don't see your cards, but you see the cards of your opponents. And there is just a single copy of each card, so if you, for example, see your opponent has a blue free, then you will never have a blue free, so we can cross it out. Okay, so is this kind of like numbers clue? Do you have like a, a little sheet in front of you that you can write on, or is this all just by memory? No, there is a sheet, because otherwise it would be pretty much impossible to remember everything. And the sheet is designed to make all the note-taking much easier. Okie dokie. And then it Every round you roll three dice. Each die has a different color, and depending on and those die uh, tell you which cards you will be summing. So you have to then guess roughly what, for example, let's say I roll a blue, a green, and a yellow die. Everybody then has to guess what is the sum of their blue, green, and yellow card which is pretty difficult because they don't know what those cards are. However, you don't have to guess the exa- uh, exact number, you can guess an interval. The bigger the interval, you get less points for guessing correctly. Okay, okay, so basically it's how confident are you in what you have in your hand. If you're less confident, you can take a guess that's going to net you points, but less points than if you knew with 100% certainty what you had. Exactly. And still, first couple of rounds will be probably guesswork. You don't have too much information. You, each uh, color has eight cards. You only see three cards that other people have, so you still have five possibilities. And right. across three colors, this is 125 different sums, so you will probably lose this one. After everybody has logged their results, uh, they get checked, so... 
If you are play, uh, playing, for example, with two people, then those two people sum up your cards and tell you whether your guess was correct, was too high or too low. And you should probably triple check it because if you make a mistake and uh, say it in check it incorrectly, this person will get screwed. It stands to reason because you have to have a certain level of trust in the people that you're playing with. Because basically they could say, no, nah, you're off by six years when actually you got it right. I think if somebody would try to screw you over, then there is no point in playing. But right, just, make, just make sure you're not making a mistake because a couple of times we played, there were obvious mistakes and suddenly you are facing contradictions where you cannot hold pretty much any card, which is pretty okay. weird. So No, that makes sense. If you like... guess correctly, you get the points. The narrower your guess was, the more points you get. And if you guessed incorrectly, you will get this information whether your guess was too high or too low. So you still kind of get this interval. For example, let's say uh, you guessed... 4 to 6, they tell you uh, the actual sum is higher, so now you know the sum was be somewhere between 7 and 21. So you still okay. get this kind of information. However, because you guessed incorrectly, you're not getting any points, and you have to discard a card. It oh, doesn't wow. have to be one of the cards you were guessing, but probably, especially early on, it's very good to discard one of these cards because you get to see what card it was so okay. you were instead suddenly instead of three un uh, unknowns you have two right okay yeah that sounds pretty cool it is um, actually uh, most people are probably familiar with sudoku there yeah. is uh, also a similar game called Kakuro, which oh, yeah. is yeah, which is based on summing. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of skills I picked up playing Kakuro are very nice to have here because you have pretty much sets of numbers and you are try uh, trying to sum up those sets and see what are possibilities. Right. Yeah, I can see how that would be helpful. We have um, we actually have that in the local newspaper here, uh, Kakuro. And even, even if you don't really like math, I found out that most people, after a game or two, are start, uh, starting to see the pattern and guess correct, uh, more and more correctly. When you start... The goal of guessing your numbers is seems impossible, but usually around the fourth or f uh, fifth turn, you suddenly guess one number because you have ruled out all all other possibilities. Uh, for example, you know that the sum of those three cards was five or less. So you know neither of those cards was a 6 or 7, so we can cross those out. It's a weaker information because if you discard those uh, one of those cards, then you can get 6 or 7, but as long as you keep it, it's still very useful. Right. And, and after 8 or 10 turns, depending on how many people you're playing with, 
you get a final guess where for each color you have uh, you can guess e either one number so you say my blue card is definitely a five and if you guess correctly you get five points if you didn't guess correctly you don't get any points if you are less sure you can give more possibilities for each card, but of course, then you have diminishing returns. Right. Yeah, that stands to reason. And usually, I found that may I will uh, playing with five colors on the last turn if I don't get screwed over very badly, especially as you gain more of this inform uh, weak information that is lost when you discard the card. If uh, at the very end you are forced to discard, you suddenly lose all the information and this can cost you a game. But if you are careful enough, I've found that I will know four colors for certain and maybe the fifth one will be get me two possibilities. And in this final turn, you get roughly the same number of points as you have earned all along the way. So you can make a comeback. Yeah, that stands to reason. Um, that actually kind of sounds like the uh, scoring method in my next game. Um, well, I guess my third game, if we want to do that now. Uh, but yeah, if, um, that sounds pretty cool. I mean, it sounds straightforward. It's a logic puzzle that's constantly rotating, but uh, that actually sounds right up my alley. I don't know if you necessarily knew this about me, but I'm actually kind of a huge statistics and numbers nerd. I like... I like math and statistics until I have to actually calculate everything for myself. <laughs> CNR, PNR, factorials, oh, those are fun. Yeah. Or we I'm insane. Uh, it is pretty much for, for me with every kind of topic. I find it very interesting in theory, but having to actually implement it and so on is a pain. This semester we had to actually write a program that would recognize handwriting. And it was a nightmare until suddenly we were given a couple examples and then it turned trivial. I was able to knock something together very quickly that had 85% success rate and then just slowly tune it up to 96 Okay. This yeah, is kind sounds... of things we do. Yeah. And All right. Back, and one final thing about Sphinx Trade. If you want to pick it up, you should probably wait for a re-release or something because the qu actual quality of the print is horrible. <clears throat> okay, so is it like not in print right now or...? Uh, I have no idea... I think it is, but the cards are from very thin paper that is very easy to bend and so on. And if you mark a single card, then the game is pretty much ruined. So you're best off sleeving each card. But then those cards are way too small. Even the mini American size, which is popularized by Fantasy Flight, is still way too big. Hmm. And... I and then actual uh, board, which is used to track points, the point track doesn't have any numbers on it. Oh. Oh, that's gross. Yeah. No, 
in the normal gameplay where you can get up to 5 points it's not that bad but on the last round where you can score up to 30 just trying to having to count 30 individual points on a, and you can it's not even like this point tracker has any logical divisions each side I, th I think is 8 or 7 points so in the end, I just grabbed a marker and wrote the numbers down by myself. Yeah, that sounds like the best solution to that problem. So wait, what? Really? The cards aren't three by two and a half? Right, I have no idea what that would be in centimeters. Um, um I don't. I'm trying to look it up, but I'm failing to. Okay, let's refer to the information. Not the same size as magic cards. No, they are way smaller. Uh, if you have ever played any Fantasy Flight games, they have the very small cards that are almost the fourth of normal Magic cards. Those cards are even smaller. Ooh. Wow. Yeah, I think the smallest cards I've ever used for a board game were on uh, the American version of Ticket to Ride. They fixed that for the European expansion. Which, if you've never played that one, that one's pretty good. But it's not on my list. Yeah, so uh, mini Fantasy Flight Mini American sleeves are 1 and 5 eighth of an inch by 2.5, which is 40 by 63 millimeters. And I have used those, and there is still, like, maybe uh, almost a centimeter almost a centimeter or half an inch of space among, uh, along them. Hmm. Well, have you ever considered just laminating them? I was thinking about laminating them, but it's very difficult to uh, do it without marking them. Yeah, I guess that is right, because you get it the would bubbles be, and then Yeah, you... it would be just difficult to make sure each laminated card, at least of the same color, looks exactly the same. Yeah, yep, yep, no good solution to that. So what you're saying is they need a reprint at magic card size. Mm, maybe not, maybe a little, a little bigger. Just magic, I think, would be too big because then you have to have five of each or six in front of you on some kind of holder, so that would take way too much space. Okay, yeah, that stands to reason. So maybe go up to Fantasy Flight Mini American sizes and just it wouldn't make much of a difference. I'm using those sleeves and they fit pre uh if the cards were the size of the sleeve I would think it would be pretty much perfect. And okay, yeah. make the quality better. That would be nice. Other uh, otherwise I but still I picked it uh up for uh, six is water, which is equivalent of fifteen dollars. So that's cheap enough. That's in my impulse board game buy range, um, which I guess is the same as my Steam impulse range. Um, but yeah, that actually sounds really interesting. I'm gonna keep an eye out for it at my local game shop, um, hoping for a reprint, and I'll talk to my guy about that. But. Uh, I don't know, maybe the quality's gone up in recent years. Um, anyway, uh, so... Yeah, just one, to... one final note. 
if you really want to try it, you could pretty much play with a standard deck of cards. Right, because, because the suits would. Uh, actually, maybe just grab two different uh, decks of cards because you need fi- uh, five mm, different suits and mark them as such or something. Then you could pretty much play it. Okay. Yeah, so that is me done. You can move on. Alright, one second. Okay. Um, so my next game on my list is uh, Starfarers of Catan, which is actually not the same thing as Star Trek Catan. Um, Star Trek Catan plays more like actual Settlers of Catan. Uh, Starfarers is actually out of print right now. You can't buy a new copy of it. I think I actually picked up one of the last production copies of it. So I feel like kind of an asshole talking about this wonderful thing that you can't ever really get for cheap. But it's a really... Okay, that makes sense. Um, But we... Wow, I just had my wires crossed there for a second. Um... (laughs) I need to stop drinking. Um, So, uh, Starfares of Catan, basically what it is, is you are in charge of some kind of empire or something that's sending out colonies into the Catan system. And it's a very large board that is broken down into like a hex grid. Um, It's still broken down into a hex grid, which uh, allows you to uh, have a movement system, which is not something that was part of the original Catan. Um, You start off with two colonies and a spaceport, and there's these uh, stars, Alpha, Beta, Gamma, and Delta. Um, Not in that order, necessarily. Um, (laughs) Alright. around which uh, there are a total of 12 spaces for colonies. And so you can play this with, like, uh, you can play it with two people. It's better with at least three, but you can play with up to four. And so um, what you do is, if you're only playing with two or three people, you pick your uh, spots um, around these starting areas, and they're what's going to feed you resources. Uh, as you try to expand out into space. And it's really interesting because there's a number of different ways to accumulate victory points. You can um, have diplomacy with aliens. You can have uh, you can have um, just like the best empire. You can make your ships really awesome. Um, you can only ever have three ships on uh, the board at a time, and they all have some end function. Like you have colony ships, which does exactly what it says on the tin. They'll set up a colony somewhere, and you know you can use them to scout out locations. You have trade vessels, which you can go and set up trading posts with some of the aliens and try to establish diplomatic relationships with them. But it's very much based on Catan's resource system. Uh, you roll two dice, and on each of the resource-producing hexes, um, there's a little cardboard cutout number on a circle. And... Uh, at the beginning of everybody's turn, um, they'll roll a communal like dice, uh, 2d6s, and whatever comes up, um, if you have a colony or like a starport on the uh, particular resource, um, you get it regardless of, who ter- of whose turn it is. Now, that could be a huge pain in the ass if you picked really horrible numbers in the beginning, 
which has happened to a few people before that I've played with. So what the game does to alleviate this is it has this, um, God, what the hell is it actually called in game? I think it's like the Catan social security, like Ford deposit of resources that your company back on earth is sending you. We all just call it the pity pile because if you don't have enough uh, victory points, you get to draw off of this every turn so that you're not resource screwed. And, uh, I mean, like, once you get past that in points, you should pretty much be okay to be self-sufficient. So you start off with something in the neighborhood of about four points in one ship, and from there you need to create an empire that uh, spans the stars. Now, the movement, again, is pretty cool in that you have these, like, little model plastic starships, which is about the first thing that ever breaks on this game, which is why it's so goddamn rare to find uh, these days. And inside each ship, there are four colored balls. Um... One second. Okay, cool. Um, so each of these colored balls uh, indicates a number that you have to move except the black one. The black one means that you're going to have an event, and an event is just this huge sort of choose-your-own-adventure card that a person to the right or left of you reads, and you have to kind of navigate, like, oh, okay, there are pirates. Do I think I can fight the pirates? And each of the other players, and it's random based on the card, uh, plays a different um, plays a different uh, role. For example, um, if you have to fight some pirates or something, you're actually fighting against the strength of the other player's ships. So it's worth your time to make sure that one person doesn't have like all the cannons, or it doesn't have like the fastest ship by a huge margin. So you are actually directly competing against your uh, fellow starfarers without directly competing against them. Um, it's a lot of fun because uh, the Catan resource system is probably one of the most unique ones I've ever seen in that you can get resources on not your turn and you can actually get yourself flooded with resources before your turn and that can get you into um, that can get you into some trouble because uh, seven is the most common number rolled on two d sixes based on statistics, and if a seven is rolled, if you have more than seven cards, you have to discard half of your hand, uh, regardless of how many over seven you have. So that's pretty brutal, especially if you get flooded with a bunch of resources and then you have to um, discard, say, get up to like eight. You have to discard down to four, and a lot of your plans are ruined. So it's a bit of a gamble there. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I've been talking for a little bit. Did you like have any ever played this or? Uh, no, I haven't even played the original Settlers of Catan, even though I meant to, because so many people recommend it and so on. Even though mm -hmm. just reading the rules and seeing other people play, I don't find the too much of an appeal of it. Maybe because I don't like. Dice rolls that can get really screw you over. Yeah, I, that 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 makes sense. And the interesting thing is, um, Starfarers is not that similar to Settlers because Settlers is a bit more like Settlers is a bit more thinky in that you have to really plan out what you're doing, and one wrong move in number distribution or resource distribution can really screw you over. Um, like I was saying with this, the pity pile really mitigates a lot of you getting screwed over for resources on dice rolls in the early game. And then as the game progresses, you can pick up more and more numbers so that you have a better chance of getting something over the long spread of the statistical rolls of the dice. But still, it's I, I think it's prevalent theme of Catan that the rolling 7 onto die, which is 
I don't know exact number how many times it will come uh, come up, but it is still the most popular will screw you over. In Settlers of Catan, if you roll double sevens, you get uh, there is some kind of uh, thief or something like this, which will yeah, steal stuff from you. Well, not only it's that, just... it actually cuts you off from your own resources uh, for a long time until somebody else rolls a seven if they're feeling merciful. Yeah, exactly. So that's I mean. kind of a dick move. Yeah, but, you know, I love my dick moves. They're great. <laughs> I mean, I'm moving my dick right now. You don't know. No, I don't. I'd rather <laughs> not know. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Um, But, yeah, that's basically all I have to say about Starfarers. Um, I think... The most recent copy I bought was for a friend, and I had to get that through eBay, and it was um, 110 bucks for a used copy that was in pretty good condition. So if you want to check it out, I don't know if it's on Tabletop Simulator. If it's not, and we have VGL game designers listening to this, get on it, get on it. Go make that game. It's a lot of fun um, if you don't mind the 7 screwing you over. And that's really all I had to say about Starfarers. So before we move on to your next game, uh, do you want to take a quick break? Mm, yeah, sure. Okay, um, take a quick five. I got to go put out some fires uh, at the office. Good luck. Thanks. I knew this was not the right day to work from home. You know, being a fireman. But um, are you a garden hose just actual isn't fireman? Region. No, I'm not a fireman. Okay. No, I think the closest I was ever to that was, you know, right after high school, but that was for a whole other reason. <laughs> oh, good gravy. I'll be right back. Okay. Okie dokie. Yeah, that was, um... That was a poor line of communication. Anywho, uh, welcome back. Um, let's see, so do you want to move on to your um, uh, last game? Mm, yeah. Do you want to try and pronounce it again? Uh, like I said, I think it's Kolejka. Mm, close enough. It's Kolejka, which is Polish word for Q, and I will be calling it as such from now on. So this game has very interesting history because this his uh, the history of this game pretty much starts 40 year uh, 40 years ago when Poland was still under communistic regime and so suddenly it turns out that they have fucked up economy hard and not in a good way. So they had to suddenly it turns out that on the market you don't have enough stuff, just pretty much all stuff, so they start a rationing program. In 1976, and yes, I'm looking up everything on Wikipedia right now, just to make sure. Oh, for shame, you don't have a fancy history degree? No, I don't. And uh, alternatively, <laughs> I could be reading it from the manual of the game, because there are also a couple pages about this period. They started to distribute something that was just commonly known as cards, which were a card that said this person is allowed to buy, let's say, half a kilogram of meat. 
and if you wanted to buy any meat, you would have to have this card. If you didn't have it, you couldn't buy anything. And this system was just slowly expanded up, uh, amongst pretty much all goods and lasted 10 years. So, a couple years ago, the Institute of National Remembrance, which is just an organization that makes sure uh, there isn't any history being covered up because there are some people that really would like to, uh, to make sure that nobody remembers what they did in this period, they decide to make a board game about exact, uh, about uh, just economic good rationing, which sounds really boring. But it's, I think it's a really fun board game. So the goal of this board game is that you are throwing some kind of an event and you need specific items. There are five different categories. I don't remember off the top most of them, but I think one of them is food, one of them is clothes, one of them is furniture and so on. And each type of uh, good is sold in a separate store. So in, uh, in order to buy it, you have to queue up as the title suggests. However, you don't know whether you will be, be, uh, be able to actually buy anything. So after everybody has set their own meeples in the queues, then you draw from the supply deck, which says uh, where the goods are being delivered. And the... Oh, so you don't know where they're being delivered? Uh, no. You don't know whether they will be delivered. So, oh, okay. So if you want furniture, you go to the furniture store, but you don't know whether you will be able to actually buy anything. Oh. Sounds communist. I guess they nailed it. <laughs> yeah. This, I've played with my parents, and they say, yeah, this was pretty much like this. God, I don't know. That kind of seems like a shitty thing to do. Hey, remember this really horrible time? Why don't we relive it on the kitchen table? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Go, <laughs> Go on. So, after you've queued up and you now know where, where you can buy something, you can screw other people over. And you can play cards such as may move your meeple into uh, in front of another one or take the whole queue and turn it around so the first person is uh, now in in the last place <laughs> or you can just take any item and move it into another shop or close down the entire shop for the day and again this is stuff that actually happened uh, one of the cards is named, uh, I think, Mother with a Young Child on, the, on her hands, and it allows you to move in front of any queue. And this is strategy that people use in this time, because if you had a young child, you would be served out of order. Sounds reasonable, although they wouldn't be served out of order in my order, in Civ 5, yeah. hashtag callback. So after you've screwed everybody over, uh, over you or run out of cards, 
starting in each queue, starting from the first person, everybody can take the item. If you don't, uh, if you aren't able to pick up anything, you and each person can only pick one item. If and take it home. If you weren't able to uh, buy anything, you stay in the queue. All right. So the goal is just to match uh, the goal uh, by the items that are as shown on your card. The official rules say that you should everybody they should know everybody's goals, but I found that it's much more fun when you hide this information because then you don't know what other people want. All right. And so basically by playing it close to the chest you stand a much better chance of um uh being unhindered. Yeah, something like this. And Okay. You uh you even want to pick up items that you don't need for the win condition because there is a uh, free market where you can exchange any two cards for any card you want, as long as there is supply there. All right. So basically, it's like the uh, goods return at any store here? Mm, yeah, something like this. Okay, cool. And that is, so pretty, were... that is pretty much the game. Uh, you want oh, no, to add no, no. something? Oh no, you're leaving something out. We were talking about it before the podcast and I thought it was fucking hilarious based on the Oh game. yeah. So there is an expansion for this game. It is adds uh, meeples for six player game and a couple other cards. And also adds a vodka store which you, where you can buy vodka and exchange it for free, uh, on free market for any cards uh, for one for one. Ex- uh, again, very historically accurate. However, when I went to buy this expansion pack, I was told that they run out, and if I want to buy it, I have to <laughs> sign a list. <laughs> oh my god, that's brilliant. Oh my god. And... <clears throat> I'm pretty sure that the publisher doesn't do any reprints, just for shits and giggles. Well, yeah, because then you'd be playing around with scarcity. What do you think this is? The free market? Yeah. (laughs) Oh my god, when you told me that, I was... That's amazing. So yeah, that sounds like something I would pick up if it was, you know, in stock. Mm, uh, The problem is that... uh... I have seen it in stores in USA. You could probably pick it up or on Amazon or something like this. I don't think there is an English edition, but you don't need much to localize it yourself. The only thing is that uh, on the cards uh, there are just short single sentences of uh, explanation how each card works. But you can pretty much remember the pictures or make some kind of cheat sheet. So what you're saying is just take three months and learn Polish already? Uh, just those ten sentences would be enough. Okay. And this, that stands to reason. And this is the game that, well, actually I don't own because we bought it for our parents, me and my siblings. And they are 
For people that don't normally play board games, they are weirdly good about it. Hmm. I wonder why. Maybe it's because they have experienced everything on their own. Yeah, that's that'd be the equivalent of walking up to me one day and saying, Hey Kyle, we have a sailing board game. Uh, you any good at sailing? Yeah, I did it as my job for a little while. Alright, cool. You'll have an unfair advantage. Yeah. Anyways... So yeah, that sounds pretty awesome. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about um, Cold Jaka? No. Okay. In the tradition of rage mispronouncing shit. Oh yeah, I, I was so disappointed that they didn't get to record because we were just trying to piss him off by tweeting a lot of... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wasn't trying to piss him off. Those are all place names in Michigan. But you selected those specific places because you knew he wouldn't be able to pronounce them. Well, I selected it just to see if he had gone on the internet and checked uh, how to pronounce, say, um, what looks like Salsa Date Mary is actually, we have fucking weird pronunciations here, Sault Ste. Marie. Um, I couldn't even be bothered to read your Polish, I'm sorry, I just, I saw the alphabet and my brain just shut down. Uh, this is... A quote from the movie called How I Started the Second World War, which is pretty fantastic. And in this movie, the main character gets captured uh, by Germans, and they want his name and uh, where he's from, and he just makes this shit up because he knew they wouldn't be able to type it or anything. I've (laughs) I've also linked a YouTube video, you should watch it. It's short. That's amazing. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll give that a, I'll give that a watch when I've got a little free time. Um, but yeah, so I was going to say, you know, we should be nice and just read the tweet, like just that tweet, so that rage, you know, legitimately welcomes us back to the show at some point. But I don't know about you, I'm actually kind of okay letting him hang for it for the next week. Uh, why would we want him? Let, uh, letting us back on, uh, back on th- in this show if we can just hi- hijack it. Yeah, that is a good point. I mean, Jared is the one who edits this thing. Yeah. So, hypothetically, we just need to stay in his good graces. Exactly. And We love your rage. I promise. Wink. And if you are wondering how it's pronounced without watching the video, it's... Let me just make sure I don't fuck it up. Grzegorz Brzęczyszczykiewicz, Chrząszczy-Żeworzyce, District Łękołody. Sounds pretty Polish. Well, my brain is now exploded. <sighs> just gotta go take a nap. Okay, <laughs> okay. so if you're done talking about um, Tolkastaya or whatever that game was... Um, Yes, I am, again, deliberately fucking up the name. Uh, I've got one more game to talk about. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so this one I actually just picked up a couple of uh, days ago, and I've been playing a lot of it since then. It's called Smash Up. And the general idea is you are trying to make a 40-card deck out of um, two halves. And each have is... uh, like one faction or another like there's aliens and pirates and zombies and uh, ninjas and stuff 
So um, each thing does something different. Like pirates, they like to loot things, so you're going to be like drawing a lot of cards. Aliens want to conquer things, so they're going to make sure that they have the most victory points. Um, uh, let's see. Um, dinosaurs are just big. And somebody welded guns and lasers to them. Guns and lasers on dinosaurs. What's not to goddamn love about that? So the idea is you're trying to make these, like, unlikely team-ups in order to fight for various battlegrounds that are presented in front of you. And each different battleground plays more to the strength of, like, whatever universe it's from. So, for example, in the zombie apocalypse, there's one that's called, like, uh, Rhodes Park, um, which is just a town that's been overrun. And the way the scoring system works is there's a first place, second place, and third place for whoever contributed the most capture points each, like, hero has a certain number of capture points um, to try to overtake that uh, particular um, area. Now, for like the zombie one, the first place, second place, and third place scores are all zero, and then the special rules are whoever had the most like uh, units on this wins, um, and they win as many uh, points as they had units on there. So like with zombies, they can just keep really coming back and punching at it, so... Um, if you're playing as the zombies faction, it's going to be a little bit easier to take this mall and be higher... Or I'm sorry, not mall. It's going to be easier to take this town and be higher scoring with it. Uh, versus, like, the alien homeworld, it really rewards the first player, but then, like, hoses the second and third. Like, the first place player will get four points for capturing the alien homeworld. And uh, the second and third place, I want to say, get, like, two and one point, respectively. So... Um, that's another way that the game adds flavor. And each uh, faction, I want to say, has like two places that they can, um, that is like associated with them. Like the ninja place has a really cool thing where um, the first place person uh, who put the most uh, capture points on it would get two, uh, but then the second place person would get three, and then the last place person would get two. So you're trying to do well on those squares, but not too well, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, so what you're trying to do is, like, when you start off, you pick who goes first, and then they get to pick half of their total deck first. Um, and when they do that, it goes to the next player who picks their deck, and so on and so forth, until it gets to the last person. They get to pick their first half and second half, so that way, like, the person who goes first doesn't automatically pick up the two best decks, and then the person who goes last, uh, ends up picking the two worst. So, um... Essentially, uh, everybody's going to have, like, the player who goes first is going to have, like, what they determine to be the best, and then they're going to get hosed with whatever they didn't necessarily want, or their deck uh, option two is probably going to be taken. Um, there are expansions to this game, and they're all kind of fantastic. Like, there's this really girly one I want to pick up that's, like, unicorns and princesses and pixies. Why do I want to pick it up? Because I think Jared would be more likely to play it at that point. Also, because it looks funny as hell. Um, but yeah, so it's sort of like a... If you've ever played Ascension, it's kind of like that, but exactly nothing like that. Um, it's That's useful. Well, <laughs> I mean, like, the way that your deck operates is sort of like that, where if you go through your whole deck, you just shuffle it back together and you keep uh, playing. Um, but uh, the idea is you're at any one time going to always have one more like area to capture than players playing the game. So for example, a two player game has three areas available to start putting P 
people onto to try and capture them. A four-player game would have five, a three-player game would have four. Um, and in this, you can't ever really just, you know, hedge all your bets on one thing, because if you do that, somebody else could take something else, and you're trying to get as many points as possible. Um, because once you get to 15, the game is over, and whoever has the most points wins. Um so what you're trying to do is just make sure that like you're not missing out on something and you have to make tactical choices as to who you're going to fight and when. Um, it also, like I said, the game is just really funny because you can have like ninjas and pirates working together against um, wizards and aliens and just, it's it's a lot of fun. I think you were saying it is on um, Tabletop Simulator? Uh, no, I was saying that I saw it on uh, Will Wheaton's tabletop. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, and it's just one of those things where uh, you have this game in which uh, it's part comedy and part strategy because you have a lot of, like, single dudes that are just super disposable. Then you have a couple of more specialized dudes, and then you have, like, one... I guess for lack of a better word, king dude, that um, by using these, because once an area is captured, you have to discard these people and you don't get them back until your deck gets shuffled in again. So it's really about, okay, where do I put these resources now in order to make sure that I get these points, but I'm not like absolutely fucking myself for the future. Um, uh, may I for a second? Because I'm trying to look up any pictures, but I cannot find pictures of the act uh, actual game being played. Those areas you're trying to capture, uh, is there any actual board or are those just cards and you saying, I'm capturing this area? Um, They're cards on a table okay. uh, because no one person is very likely to capture it because the cards have what's called a break point on them. Mm -hmm. And each card that you play has uh, some amount of capture point on it. I'm not sure what the actual name for it is. It's just easier to call it that, because that's what it is. So once the total number of capture points on that uh, particular uh, property, I guess, property, battlefield, whatever you have, um, once that has been met and or exceeded, that battleground is then scored, and you can... Um, and then uh, whoever has the most number of capture points. So let's say for sake of example, you had somebody on there worth seven and eight, and then I broke it by putting four dudes on there that were each worth two. You would win that even though I had more cards on there, um, by and large, uh, because you had 15 points on there versus my uh, eight points. Okay. So it's not just about like, oh, I have guys on here. It's, okay, how many guys do I have on here do I want to break this one now, or do I want to try and, you know, like, fuck the other person over, make them try to take their cards back, and uh, make sure that when this comes about, I'm going to be the guy who's on top. Okay, so you have to be careful, because playing card on a location makes sure, means uh, you're helping to break it, but yep. when you break it, you don't necessarily uh, win, right? Right. So let's say that you have some area that, let's say you're playing a four-person game, and you have an area where the other three players have definitely got this, and 
a couple of areas that you are on aren't even close to breaking, even though you have way more points than anybody else could get on them. What you could do is you could take one of your turns, put a guy onto that area that's like two points. You're not going to get any points for it, but you are going to break that area to put a new area on the board. Okay. So that's really the strategy is kind of like betting against uh, where you think the other players are going to be um, are going to be playing their things. So uh, that's that's really the long and the hairy of it. Uh, the base game comes with eight different factions, so you can play it with up to four people, but the box is goddamn huge, so it encourages you to buy these sets. And the sets themselves aren't that um, aren't that expensive. Uh, you can pick one up for like 15 to 20 bucks unless it's brand new, at which point it's like 25. Uh, this faction mashing. Just pairing up different factions really reminds me of Small World. Yeah, Small World is also great. The, honestly, the flavor kind of reminds me a lot of Small World, um, except you never really have a race that you're focusing on more than the other. For example, um, one of the games I played recently I found of um, of Smash Up, not Small World, I found that zombies and ninjas are actually a pretty good mix because ninjas can sneak from place to place very quickly. And um, they can really sit there and, like, fuck over the tide of battle. Um, and then zombies just don't die. They just keep coming out of the graveyard. So I'm not really going to be at a loss for playing things. Uh, and that worked really well. Um, I nearly lost to alien dinosaurs, which... Um, that would have been a little bit sad, but... Come on, the phrase alien dinosaurs kicks so much ass. I think ninja dinosaurs sound better. I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever read a comic called Axe Cop? No. <laughs> oh, man, I don't know what you're doing after this, but I know what you might be doing. Um, it's a comic that was originally written by, like, a five-year-old. Like, he was just telling a story to his 27-year-old brother, who was a comic illustrator. So it's just this insane mashup of a bunch of different tropes that don't really make a whole lot of sense, but the comic itself is absolutely wonderful. Like, um, the whole thing is uh, Axe Cop is this guy who found um, a fireman's axe at a fire one day, and he's a police officer. So that was the day he became Axe Cop, and then he's, like, fighting dinosaurs that are invading. There's um, a dinosaur, which for one hand has a grappling hood, and for the other has a rocket launcher. Yeah, that sounds about on par with what this comic is. It's kind of fantastic. Um, because it, it's, I don't know, I, I guess it's closer to, not really Dadaism, but like of the absurdity of the unfiltered mind, which to me is always a lot of fun from a distance. But, yeah, so... Um, Anyways, yeah, so, like, Smash Up, uh, I haven't really gotten a chance to try a bunch of different um, possibilities yet. I did the math once. I think there's, like, a quarter million possibilities you can possibly have with four different people playing. So um, there's always a new combination to try. Although I technically ran that through Factorial. Not Factorio, Factorial. So I would have to CNR it. So, um, Chemist, if you would mind doing the math uh, yourself, that would be amazing. Yeah, I think that um, using a factorial is, mi is a mistake because you 
it's not permuta uh, permutations, it's choices, because if you pair uh, using factorials, you are double, ca double counting each pair. Um, yeah, that's what I thought. So if we divide it by two, that's still 125,000-ish. Uh, let me just double-check the math on this. Welcome to the math portion of the podcast. <laughs> where I'm just sitting here on my phone as a calculator while... Um, okay, what are you actually calculating? All right, I'm just going to calculate uh, 8 factorial and then divide it by 2 because that takes out any double pairs that we would have. For example, no. dinosaurs and ninjas is the same as but ninjas you and have dinosaurs. four pairs. So it's... Uh, wait, you have eight, di uh, 8 different factions and you are creating four pairs, right? Right. No. Son of a bitch, hold on. I think I have to divide it by 16. Yeah, so then you can... 12,000. Uh, but 12, then the order of the... Uh, do you Are you counting the order of the pairs? Yeah. Because, you... because what I'm doing is for each factorial, so like 7 and 8, I would need... Wait, son of a bitch. Welcome to the, uh, the portion of the podcast where it's like, hold on, I kind of remember this from high school. Because 8 factorial okay. over to the, uh, to, the, uh, to the power of 4 means uh, each individual pair, you can swap them. Because you have right. 4 pairs and you are double counting each. But then uh, what I'm asking is, uh, does the order of the pair matters? So if you swap the first pair with the second, does it still count differently? I'm going to say yes, it does. For the reason that um, the determination of the first uh, thing drawn um, determines what the possible next draw is, because you have to remember the next draw is going to be a different person. So the only person who it wouldn't affect is the person who picked last, because A and B for them is the same as B and A, and it doesn't affect the total remaining choices for any of the other players. Okay, so that's what I wanted to know, is... Uh... If two people swap their pairs, is it the same game? And you were saying it's not, so it's 2,520. Yay! That was almost pointless. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know, like, I hope that that stays in the actual podcast, but that would be probably the most boring franking content ever. You know, like, happy fun times, crazy off-the-wall shenanigans. Math. If you want, we can generalize the formula If you, as you're adding any expansions. Well, yeah, let's do that, because I'm thinking about picking up two expansions, which is four uh, new... Uh, yeah, it's four new decks each, so that's going to, in theory, nearly double it, except because we're going to be using a cutoff factorial... Um, yeah, because uh, so, if you have too many decks, then you're not using all of them. If you right, don't have so enough that would players. be sixteen factorial minus eight factorial. I want to say uh, over, not minus. Right, my bad. Sorry, it's. <sighs> I've had a long day at not the office. Um, speaking of. Uh, yeah. And that so, is 32.5 million? Yeah, so with just like two expansion packs, your probabilities go up a lot. 
or I'm sorry, your options go up a lot. So, um, moving swiftly on. Moving swiftly on. What if I were to add another couple of expansion packs? Because then I would run out of box space. What can math do for me there? You could try to create a custom insert. That's what I did yeah. for Nuroshima because previously I had every single exp uh, army in just a zip bag, which was really inconvenient because then if you want to use it, you have to make uh, take it out, flip everything, uh, so you you can draw randomly and so on. And right now I have just stacks that I can take out and be ready in a couple seconds. And that took yeah, me... Yeah, that sounds like... I... Yeah, that sounds like... Oh, sorry. Yeah, uh, you can s talk. Okay. That sounds I like some you. of the problem I've been having with... Uh, have you ever played the Civilization board game? No. Well, they, mm, the box economy in that one is terrible. Um, so all of, like, the wounds, gold, uh, God, what is it? Wounds, gold, culture, some of the, like, important military stuff, and I want to say some of the leader things are all in, um, one, like, quart bag, and then you have to, uh, you have to separate that, and it's, uh, it's awful. It, it's horrible. I mean, I almost want to just go out and invest in some of those little Mylar bags. Mm. But I am what you call too lazy. It's, it's a real medical malady, and I, I need to work on it. I understand this. I have no idea what the hell is going on over here. Board game game. Uh... Oh, is that your thing? Yeah, this is the thing I've created. Oh, that's pretty baller, man. It took me some... It was very cheap, under $10 in total in materials, and it took me something like 12 hours to create. The worst thing is I don't... I'm not sure you can see it well on picture, but the dividers between armies, they you have to make some kind of cuts so you can put fingers in there. So right. there are pieces that are shaped kind of like, I don't know, like you. And trying to cut out the middle bit was a lot of pain. And there are 20 of those. So this took me most time. And also I spent on and off something like 20 hours just designing the damn thing. Making sure everything fits. And it does barely for example, uh, one of the ar armies from the expansion pack is on slightly thicker uh, carton. And over oh. the course of 35 tokens, this is the difference of half a piece. And it fits in just a single slot because just the way I glued it, it's slightly bigger. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a pain in the butt when they um, go to a different type of cardboard. That actually happened with Catan. They had like a couple reprints where the reprint was damn near incompatible with the um, was damn near incompatible with the uh, original like 1990s release. Yeah, here um, it's there isn't anything to be incompatible. It's just annoying. 
in this insert. I have another uh, expansion that is on much thinner paper, uh, paper. And this is here everything fits ni uh, nicely except this one which just clanks around. And I'm afraid it may break someday. Yeah, well, when that day comes I'm sure that uh, that is going to be A, terrible, but B, I think you can handle it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so other than that, I mean, I don't really have anything that's kind of board game related, really. So, I mean, uh, chemists, where can they find you online? Uh, the best place to find me is on Steam. I'm Chemister, C-H-M-I-S. Or alternatively, if you really want for whatever reason, you can find me on Twitter and do it via the VGL Twitter account because I don't feel like spelling Polish today. And for whatever reason, I thought it was a good idea to use my actual surname as my Twitter handle. <laughs> yeah, we don't want your name getting out there, heaven forbid. No, it's just, I don't mind, I just don't want to spell it because it's too long. Ah. If you are Polish and are able to just write it off the bat, the handle is D.A. Kaszewski. That's my surname and initials. That's... All right. Um, cool. Do you have anything coming out, I guess, besides this here? Mm, what do you mean? Well, I'm just trying to be as much Jared as I possibly can and asking you about your future projects this week. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm probably just going to play games and trying to get my D&D group back together because they st I think they are thing uh, I think starting to avoid me especially <laughs> after I told them that I want from each and every person I want uh free pa uh, free pages of character backstory and they <laughs> haven't gotten been gotten to me back since <laughs> so for a game that you want uh, them to play with you you gave them homework yeah <laughs> okay for my defense uh, I was uh, I am planning to use this character backstory to create a custom campaign and I have something planned that will end up pitching every single person against each other I just want to flavor it with their own stuff Okay, yeah, that that stands to reason. <clears throat> I remember actually, uh, if we have time for one quick digression, we always um, do. Yeah. So, my girlfriend was getting into D and uh, D a few years ago, and um, the GM asked me to uh, sit in and you know just help him out with this like little introductory, I guess, quest you would call it uh, to the main mission where it was. I don't know, it was more like a prelude than anything else, because it was just super simplistic dice rolls. We were kind of playing the 13th Age rules of how um, of how targeting worked, and it wasn't really grid-based. It was just getting them used to the idea of making decisions and rolling dice, you know? Okay. So they were not very... Uh, they being my girlfriend and her roommate who was playing at the time, they weren't really well-versed in 
uh, D&D stuff, and so the GM who was sitting there, uh, whenever they would, like, walk by a body after killing it, um, I would always have to just constantly remind them, you know, uh, loot. And the way I did this was, um, whenever they walk by a body, I say, you hear a disembodied voice coming into your ear, and it says, And so that became the running joke for uh, the whole um, prelude. Well, the GM got even with me a little bit later in that, uh, A, he created a religion based around looting in the game, and B, uh, he ended up um, <laughs> he ended up sending the party to jail because my girlfriend looted too many bodies and got caught with it. And so uh, the response to this, uh, Meliora actually looted a body that was already in the cell and rolled a high enough uh, like find thing because I guess he put the key in the cell just because he wanted uh, the G- the GM wanted the um, the girls to be able to get out and so uh, she got out by looting but didn't tell anybody. So she got out, took the key with her, and the rest of the group was stuck in jail for a little while. All because of looting. It was wonderful. I have a problem with my players, on the other hand. Uh, we are running starter set campaign because I didn't want to create anything. I just haven't felt confident enough. So I bought a pre-made adventure. And the introduction is some just random uh, goblin cave. And I have a problem with them every time they are asking, does this goblin have anything useful on them? (laughs) I say, no, they have just a shitty sword. And they ask me, can I sell this sword? (laughs) Yes, that's wonderful. Yeah, this is world video game. This is literal video game logic. Yeah, basically. I've... What are uh, they are expecting from me is to let them just carry 20 rusty swords and they'll <laughs> sell them to somebody. Yeah, who wants a rusty sword? Although I will say, as far as actual video game logic, um, I was, uh, and still am, big into Dark Souls. And the way that they handle items there is if you drop something, it's just like a bag on the ground, so you don't know what it is. It could be a legendary weapon, or it could be, and this is actually in the game, a pile of shit. <laughs> so there's uh there's this area in the game called uh the catacomb uh yeah the catacombs and um there are these rotating bridges so if you invade somebody which is like the pvp where you're challenging yeah, them to a dual oh, okay okay so um what you can do is you can if they haven't gotten a bridge yet rotate the bridges so that they can fall down farther than they could like down to an area and then just drop an item in the middle of the bridge because and this is video game logic you can't tell if it's a pile of shit or like some kind of legendary weapon so you actually have to go over and figure out okay is this guy trapping me and trying to roll me off a bridge or is he just being super benevolent before kicking my ass okay which i've always thought that's really funny like hmm, i don't know what that is over there is it shit or is it an amazing thing like I would love to see that in real life. Um, yeah. So I don't really know where I was going with that, but I have no idea either. We are talking about D and D. Oh yeah, D and D is a lot of fun. Um, yeah. I don't know. Uh oh yeah, we were doing the wrap up. I remember now. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have had the. Maybe I shouldn't have been drinking whiskey. Um, 
So, okay, my name is Kyle. I used to have a YouTube channel. If you can find it, good on you. If you can't, don't worry about it. You can find me at Steam at bracket M-I-C-R, that is Mike Indigo Romeo, uh, Mike Indigo Charlie Romeo, close bracket, that one guy. Um, if you want to invade me in Dark Souls, go fuck yourself, but yeah, I accept the challenge. Um... I'm on Twitter at Chocolate Audible. Uh, no E at the end of that because there's a limit to a Twitter handle. And this week, uh, I'm playing a lot of Star Maid, so if you want to join me on that, that'd be cool. Oh, shit! We get to pick a password this week! Okay. Ooh. That is huge responsibility. That is a huge responsibility. All right. Who are we picking focus. a password for? I don't know. Rage picks passwords. And I was talking to him the other day, and he said he had a hell of a password for this week, so we need to come up with something. Wait a minute. We should have it be something Polish. Sausage. Does that mean exactly what I think it means? You can think whatever you want about it. Stands to reason. Okay. Well, uh, the music this week has been uh, On the Ground by Kevin McLeod. You can find his work over at incomputech.net, I want to say. It's either incomputech.net or incomputech.com. And as his music begins to roll over my voice, I bid you all bye bye now. See you next time. <laughs>